This episode of Z Prime on the Grid is brought to you by Clevist and was recorded at ETS 19. If you missed the conference and you want to hear more from Carol, our guest today, or any of the other thought leaders at the event, we'll be releasing videos of the sessions and interviews on our YouTube page, ETS Energy Thought Summit. Head there and subscribe, and make sure to check back regularly for videos coming out over the next several weeks. Thank you, and enjoy this podcast episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. How's it going, Aaron? It's going really well, Dylan. We're on the tail end of ETS 19. It's one of those things that we prep for so long in advance, and then it finally comes and it flies by the week of it. And so I've had such a good experience, learned a lot, met a lot of new people. I'm really excited and really happy about how the event has turned out. Same, Aaron. I had a great four days uh, going to panels and talks and learning so much about what's being done to really change the industry as it transitions into a 21st century digital grid. Uh, And we're here wrapping it up after four days of engaging energy discussion, and we're here to have one more with a featured speaker before we pack it all up. We have with us on the podcast, Carol Johnston, Vice President of Product and Marketing at Clevist. Thanks for being here in Austin to help change the energy industry, Carol. Thanks, Dylan and Aaron. Really happy to be here. It's been a really jam-packed, exciting couple of days. Learned a lot about the migration and movement of the energy sector into the grid electrification. Lots of great conversations about moving towards clean energy and and customer communication and collaboration. It's been a really exciting couple of days. Happy to be a part of it. So you two were actually on a panel together called A Whole New World, AR, VR, and IoT in the Utility Space. What was discussed on that panel that you found compelling? Yeah, that's certainly a big mouthful, right? So uh, looking at some of these emerging technologies, uh, the the, the panel was a a really good discussion about what what that technology really is uh, in terms of the differences between virtual reality, uh, augmented reality, how it relates to the Internet of Things, and the work uh, that, that a utility is doing practically in the field today, so how they could take advantage of some of this emerging technology with, with a, a real return on investment uh, and use it as a bridging technology as, as some of this uh, you know, new hardware uh, and new use cases come, come about. We definitely talked about how to define these technologies. One of the things we see a lot with emerging technology is just kind of this general misunderstanding of what they are and what they can do. So that's something that we also focused on in the panel. What is augmented reality and what is virtual reality and how are they different? And then we did get into some pilots, which I I believe we're going to talk about. Absolutely. You know, over, over the years, we all hear these buzzwords or terms. We think we know what they mean, uh, but the, the panel definitely dug in and looked at, you know, what are the differences between uh, these two technologies, how they can be used in a practical manner for a utility uh, to help their operational efficiency and, and safety in the field. Uh, yeah, I'd like to get into that a little bit. So there's a lot of buzz around AR and VR technology. We even have our own VR demo at this conference. Uh, what interesting operational applications have you seen this technology used for? 
Yeah, so, so classically over the last couple of years, uh, I've seen utilities uh, exploring or having conversations around using this technology to locate uh, underground or, or hidden assets. Uh, and some of the challenges that have emerged from some of those early pilots is, you know, is the accuracy of, of what they call the digital twin, my GIS data, the digital representation of that physical asset in the field, is it accurate enough to rely on? So, uh, you know, a utility is not necessarily going to rely on a, a, a virtual representation of an underground asset and say, yep, that's accurate enough that I, I don't have to go out and do a locate before I dig up the street or, or have somebody plant a garden there and not, not break my water lines or, or break my gas lines or underground uh, electric lines. In the panel, you also discussed applications for customer engagement through these technologies. Can you expand on how AR and VR can improve the customer experience? Yeah, so, you know, we, we, we talked a lot about, you know, if, if the early results of those pilots for locating assets is, is not proving realistic uh, in today's uh, day and age and, and with the today's technology, you know, what, what could we use this for uh, in a practical environment for utilities? So we talked a little bit about, you know, worker safety being, being a big key and operational efficiency. So taking a look at some of the, the work that a utility is currently doing for uh, asset inspections, for um, you know, remote worker assistance, and, and some of these, these use cases that would get a real return on investment using devices and uh, tools that the worker already has in their hands. So no extra investment in, in hardware for head-mounted display or, or HoloLens glasses, uh, being able to, to practically use it today. One of the things we did discuss um, quite a bit on the panel was that this technology is available commercially and now the challenge for utilities is adapting it to that appropriate use case, whether it is worker training or mm -hmm. identifying where assets are underground. So I think that is one of the biggest barriers when it comes to these technologies today is how do you take this technology that is commercially viable um, from a consumer engagement standpoint in other industries and how do you apply it to utilities and then create business value out of it and then communicating right. that business value. Yeah, and you know, one of the great things about the ETS conference is, you know, we're, we're certainly looking at innovation. So, you know, what can we do to uh, take that leap to the next next level of operations, uh, taking advantage of some of this innovative, uh, commercially available technology that's out there. Uh, but the other, you know, shoe or the other side of that coin in discussion is, you know, how do we keep the lights on while we're innovating and experimenting? So you, know, you, you do have to, whether you're a cooperative or an investor-owned utility, be accountable for the money you're spending, whether it's your investors' dollars or your members', members funds, uh, to make sure that you're investing in stable, reliable, clean energy. So the, the approach that we've been taking and what we were discussing on the panel was uh, work that you're currently already doing. How do we remove the technical barrier? So I'm not having to do a lot of data entry or search strings or queries to find information. How can we use AR technology to bring that to life and, and present it to the worker so that he can see you know, pending work uh, notifications at a location that he's working in, uh, how he can see site hazards, so uh, you know, bad dog incidences or cu customer interactions that may not have had a great outcome uh, the last time the utility worker was out there. Being able to see that in, in a real world overlay so that I don't have to search for it, the information is presented to me. Uh, so we're really looking at that, that frictionless barrier uh, where, where the, the technology is removed and, and the efficiencies are, are gained. 
I love this analogy that you keep bringing up, the bad dog instance. <laughs> Can you kind of uh, walk us through what, what exactly that means? Yeah, dogs get a bad rap in, in the utility uh, industry, and, and you know I'm I'm a dog lover. I've got two two myself. So, As am I. So I certainly hate to hear them always, uh, you know, maligned in, in the utility sector. But you know, in all reality, um, you know, I've got my own dogs. If somebody walked into my yard without knocking or, or announcing themselves, that's the dog's role to protect mm-hmm. his his territory. So you know, utility workers, postal workers, you know, uh, all all these people that are having to go into someone's private yard or, or knock on the door. Uh, uh, you, you do have a lot of you know dog bite incidences where you know workers can get injured. Uh, so you know letting them know where where an incident, either a negative interaction with a, a customer that's had a disconnect experience with the utility, uh, or or high bill investigations where you know maybe they're a little upset when you arrive, or where you're startling that animal that's protecting their territory, and you. Oddly enough, it's usually the little dogs that are the worst <laughs> versus the big dogs. They've got a little bit more confidence, I guess. But uh, just warning that worker that when he does open that gate, he maybe have to be a little more sensitive either to the customer or, or to the animal that's protecting its territory. Because traditionally, the only way they would know that information is if somebody else had previously been to that house and said, hey, you may want to be aware of this dog. Yeah. Now we have the ability to kind of augment what we know to give the workers a safer experience by taking into account information that they traditionally would have not taken into account. Yeah, I mean, typically, as you say, Erin, uh, that information has been logged by the previous uh, person that got bit in that yard. So, you know, there had to have been some kind of uh, action or interaction for that, that data to be in the utilities archives. But that's sitting in the CIS system somewhere. Uh, you know, you can certainly be sent down in a work order, but if I'm working at the house next door, I'm in a duplex, I'm going into a shared yard or a non-fenced area where a dog is loose, I may not have that information available to me. So you can use AR to visualize and look around a neighborhood and pull information that the utility does have in their CIS system, and we do have uh, in an integration to your workforce management system, and then using AR technology to bring that information to life and using the camera lens of the device I already have in my hand uh, to do my electronic workflows and, and order completion to be able to look around and see those site hazards uh, that are sitting around that neighborhood uh, making that worker safe. One of the biggest value propositions therefore being accessibility of information. Absolutely and not having to go spelunking through the data archives to find it but having it be presented to me based on my physical location uh, and, and being able to you know blend that, that view of my digital information with the real world view uh, of the street that I'm standing on. Yeah, and it's not just the safety aspect, it can just help make things more efficient too. If you're using like the data from your GIS to be able to know immediately when a leak's been reported where the nearest, you know, where the nearest valve is to turn off the water while you fix the, while you fix the main leak, mm-hmm. um, things like that. There's a lot of applications for this technology. Uh, but we're still seeing it very slowly trickle into the utility space. By the time this podcast comes out, we'll have published a new report that we worked on with Clevist about AR and VR use in utility operations. Our survey found that fewer than 39% of utilities are utilizing AR and VR technology currently, and if you exclude drones, that number falls to 13%. Only 32% believe that AR technology is critical to future success, and 37% say it's too expensive, 38% say it's not mature enough. 
what needs to be done to prove value of AR and VR technology to utilities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, I've, I found those stats fascinating as the, as the report came out because obviously we've been we've been talking about we've we've seen uh, use cases that's been at the conference about how this potentially could be used. We see it in commercial uh, or sorry consumer use, uh, whether it's from Pokemon Go or different games that we play in our in our personal lives. And, and usually the enterprise adoption follows that as you get uh, get it into mainstream. I, th- I think the challenge has always been if how do we overcome the barriers that, that these early pilots have, have exposed the issues uh, with adoption in the enterprise. Uh, you know, the cost of the hardware. So, you know, we're, we're still dealing with having to, to arm all of our workers with, with mobile devices and sometimes two or more mobile devices. So I've got my laptop in the field, maybe I've got my smartphone in my hand when I'm up the bucket truck or at a customer uh, door or premise. And now having to buy another $5,000 device to get a little bit of incremental benefit is, is just not, not been uh, business viable to date. So what the approach that we talked about and looked at in, in the report and on, the, on our panel was how do, we, how do we bridge that gap to adoption and help accelerate that? And, and uh, the, the approach we've been looking at is focus on the real business value. So uh, making sure that we are not adding cost uh, in terms of extra hardware, uh, but also not looking at sort of the, the, the sizzly, interesting things that look really sexy but, but don't really materialize in, in uh, practical applications in the field. So if I'm doing line tracing, if I'm getting customer lists, if I'm looking for pending work information or site, uh, site hazards, I'm doing all of this work today in the field anyway. Uh, but then, you know, making the worker more efficient without having to key in or look for the data, pulling it out of the archives of the utility and presenting it in a virtual uh, overlay uh, or an augmented overlay uh, experience uh, really gets that operational efficiency gains and, and safety improvements that we were talking about. It's not, I mean, these stats, Dylan, aren't uncommon when it comes to a very emerging technology, only 32% believing that AR technology is critical to future success. We can't expect people to say this is critical to my organization if they don't really understand. I've never had it before. Why is it now so mission critical uh, that I adopt this? Absolutely. Exactly. So as the education around these technologies increases, I do believe that that number will continue to increase and the criticality of it will uh, show itself because of the ability to optimize the workflow uh, Mm -hmm. through the augmentation of the technology. Yeah, I mean, and and use utilities and and have we been talking about it at the conference today is, you know, how do I become uh, green uh, and and clean energy and how do I engage the millennial? There was a lot of conversations around that at the conference this last couple of days of the next generation workforce is coming from the millennial human resource pool. They embrace technology. They are looking for a way to be contributed and connected uh, and, and in having a less of a carbon footprint. So having less truck rolls out into the field, remote worker assist. So having these new workers be, be supported and, uh, and augmented uh, from somebody back in the office or a remote field supervisor. Uh, is, is real practical examples of how AR can make the utility more efficient, more green, and reduce their cost of delivering that quality service to their customers. Obviously, as the technology progresses, uh, the value will become more apparent. But is there a way to accelerate adoption? 
Sure. I mean, and it's always that catch-22, right? So I, I can't adopt it because of the cost of the hardware. It's $5,000. We all know that when emerging technologies come out, it's really expensive. I mean, when flat-screen TVs first came out, it was $5,000 per. I can buy one at London Drugs now for you know $400 or less. So you know, as we as we embrace the technology, as more people buy it, uh, pe the you know, vendors and, and uh, innovators invest in, in bringing those costs down, bringing the form factors down. Uh, but but it is that how do we get the traction, the momentum moving? So you know, we, we talked previously about that that bridging technology. So how how do we start using AR and VR and drones and and uh, you know making that uh, that utility Internet of Things more connected, the human resources more connected and more efficient by not having to invest in a lot of dedicated hardware uh, will help start proving those business cases out. And then as the cost of some of these devices come down, uh, I think it will start to accelerate and really take off. You know, frankly, I never knew I needed an iPad until I bought one, uh, and now I can't live without it. <laughs> right? So. Do you ever get concern from utilities specifically around the security of these devices? Is that something that comes up in conversation at all? Yeah, and that, that's certainly, you know, in, in the early pilots that were done, um, especially in the gas and, and petrochemical uh, arena, but also in the utility sector. Uh, you know, the worker safety and security was, was really coming up, but the privacy of the customer. So, you know, you can imagine if I've got a, a field worker coming up with a big heads-up display on my head or uh, recording devices uh, in my eyeglasses, uh, there, there's some privacy concerns uh, and there's also some security concerns. So if you take a worker out of the real world and they're not paying attention to their surroundings uh, or that, that dizzy, disorientating experience, I don't know if you've ever been in a, an escape or a game mm -hmm. room, uh, but you know, I've, I've certainly watched people crawl across you know, burning bridges and, and it's quite hilarious to watch. <laughs> you don't necessarily want to see your, your electrical uh, field worker out there having that same experience when they're working with live lines or, or with customers uh, in sensitive situations. Right, this kind of concern around maintaining situational awareness. Yes, yeah, I, I need to stay in the real world. I need to be, you know, safety is paramount. I'm dealing with, you know, live lines and, and hazardous situations. Uh, and I need to be respectful to the customers that I'm serving. So making sure I'm not coming up and looking like some kind of cyborg monster, <laughs> providing a, a customer service uh, experience that could be negative. The privacy aspect is actually not something that I would think of right off the bat, but I mean, it makes sense, right? If somebody mm -hmm. is walking into your house and you see them wearing a headset, you're going, wait a second, yep. <laughs> like, what are you filming? We yeah. know that the utility industry has had issues with customers and their their privacy to begin with, especially when it came to smart meters. You know, people mm -hmm. were against smart meters because they thought that the utility was monitoring. going to be monitoring them and noticing when they're using electricity and why they're doing it, and really kind of encroaching on their personal privacy. So that Absolutely. is a very interesting aspect of it. Yeah, and then, you know, when, when Google first came out with their Google Glasses, I, I don't know if you saw in the news and stuff, but people were uh, experimenting with them. So Google employees wearing them going into public settings, uh, whether it's a restaurant or a bar. And there, there was a lot of conflict with people, you know, wanting some downtime and personal time, feeling like they, even if the, the glasses were off and, and not recording, uh, there is always that, that fear that, you know, why are you recording? What are you doing with that data? Uh, we see that even with body cameras uh, today. You know, there, there is, uh, for the, the fire, police, and safety aspect, 
you know, that's becoming a public benefit for any kind of dispute and, and works two ways. So I think it will go away over time uh, and people will get comfortable with this technology, but right now it, it can be a little off-putting. I think that also kind of ties into this idea of how do utilities start to engage the customer in different ways and how do they communicate what they're doing in a more meaningful way. So utilities are going to have to think about how they're going to um, communicate to the customer what exactly is going on if a worker is walking into their house with right. this technology. Yeah, and you know, uh, us as human beings, we're always in a what's in it for me kind of scenario, right? So uh, certainly the the interaction and the view of the relationship between the utility and the customer is, is evolving and changing. It's changing quite rapidly now where, you know, there is that expectation from the consumer that, you know, I have choice now that I never had before in a deregulated market. Uh, you know, I want to know um, and be able to manage my carbon footprint. So I want to know how I'm using my, my energy, where my costs are coming, where, where can I engage more meaningfully with the utility. But as the utility starts to roll some of this out, communicating some of the benefits that is uh, impacting the customer as well as the utility so that that two-way engagement uh, will help with adoption as well. And you're both bringing up great points about how the technology can be viewed from a, from a from an outside lens and how it can, how utilization of it, it just willy-nilly can lead to, to issues. Uh, I think back to like some of the very early innovations in, in VR, like in, in gaming way back in like the 80s and 90s and, and then in the early, in the early to mid 2000s with things like the Oculus Rift, mm -hmm. there was a lot of pushback even at times when it was economically viable just because it was had novelty but wasn't necessarily doing anything that wouldn't be better done by other means. And there were also accessibility issues, people would get motion sick and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, now I th think that what that comes down to then is making sure you're utilizing that technology in the ways that it most creates value for you that you can then point to and say here's how it's here's how it's doing these things better than other avenues and not just yeah. like putting it in for the sake of putting it in yeah, and, and absolutely, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there is, you know, we get adoption, we get mainstream acceptance when we see benefit and value. So, you know, really focusing on, you know, how do we use the technology and the, and the capabilities today to prove the business case, and then you can innovate and, and go beyond those early, early returns. Uh, you know, we, we all have, you know, change is hard. So we, we all have different risk levels or, um, you know, innovation levels that are, are different thresholds that we're willing to accept. Uh, and you have to find that, that balancing point of, you know, where do I innovate, where do I push the needle and change, uh, but not so fast that I leave some of my workforce or, or some of my customers behind. Based on the direction you've seen AR and VR going in the utility space, do you think they'll become ubiquitous in the foreseeable future as the prices go down? Or are they going to continue to be niche technologies until something fundamentally changes with their capabilities? Yeah, I absolutely see this becoming a ubiquitous part of our lives. Like we, we already have it with um, you know the, the embedded AR kits within you know Apple and other devices that are coming out. Uh, we, we already have this technology in our personal lives. So you know, having uh, you know pop-up ads uh, in Uber-type experiences that that are already part of my daily life. 
uh, and when it's part of my daily life and experience and I get used to that, I bring that into the workforce because you know I spend a third of my life working, if not more. <laughs> so so you, you start to have that expectation that this benefit that it provides me is going to be available to me during my day, day job as well as my personal life. No, I, I mean, I think it's going to become ubiquitous too. The digital twin is the future of understanding operations for utility. And the way I view it is AR and VR are really at the start of that curve up towards the digital twin. It's not going to be like we talked about on the panel. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and have a completely virtual replica of your organization. Right. You're going to take steps in order to get to that digital twin. So mm -hmm. AR and VR really kind of are at that starting point and then it becomes about communicating that value as you innovate and find new ways to use it across the organization. Yeah, I was in a session the other day and they were talking about the, the trust of the twin, right? So, you know, we all have a digital twin out there, if, if not more. So I've, my doctor has a, a digital file on me in terms of my, my dental records, my health records. Uh, utilities have a digital representation of all of their assets. That, that data has varying degrees of accuracy. So how, how do we, you know, whether it's, it's hacking on the internet or trusting the Wikipedia data, there's so many ways for us to create these digital representation of, of physical things and physical beings. Uh, but, but who is responsible for adding and maintaining that data to make sure that I can trust it mm -hmm. and take action on that information that it's giving me? I think AR, uh, drone technologies, uh, LiDAR technology um, has a real role to play in, in making sure the accuracy and, and authenticity of those digital twins so that we, we do have a good experience coming out of that and not, not the, the, the horrible uh, things that can happen from bad data. I think that's something that Maged, uh, Maged Yacoub brought up on our panel was kind of the quality of data. It's not there yet. We do mm -hmm. need better data in order to leverage these technologies. Yeah, and we, we had a question from our audience in, in that panel as well of, you know, what are the prerequisites to being able to take advantage of AR, VR technology? And, and there, we, we looked at a bunch of different use cases in our, in our panel. Some of them, you know, did require good quality GIS data, others did not. So, you know, even, even leveraging your, your CIS data uh, for pending work notifications, uh, you know, leveraging uh, the network tracing and capabilities to, to see the connected customer list. Uh, all, all of this doesn't require necessarily high accuracy uh, or, or levels of, of uh, information in your GIS system. It can, it can pull from a variety of sources uh, to, to provide that business value. Yeah, I think what ultimately will make this technology more successful in this space than it has in other spaces where it's been tried is that for the first time pretty much in, in my lifetime, this technology has been has gone beyond novelty mm -hmm. to like figuring out how the technology is uniquely capable of solving problems in your own space. Absolutely, and you know, I, I equate this to you know moving from science fiction to science fact, right? So we often see this type of technology emerge in the gaming sector, where we we play with it. It's it's fun and exciting, uh, and then we look at ways that you know this could be an ubiquitous use of, of this technology in my daily life uh, to provide me you know incremental benefits and improvements in in the quality of my work. Uh, and the quality of my interactions with, with other, other people out there as well. Science fiction is science fact. Thank you for the episode title. <laughs> Excellent. We got, we got one in. Uh. 
we're about to wrap up here, but uh, one thing I was just curious about, because this is, is, as we discussed, a very interesting technology in terms of its applications, and there's just a lot of cool stuff out there. So what, Carol, is the coolest program that you've seen used with these technologies? Yeah, I... You know, there, there's certainly the, the the coolest you know aspect that everybody was talking about, and all that that hype cycle that that came out was certainly the the concept of being able to X-ray vision under the streets and see where my hidden assets are. Uh, unfortunately, that hype cycle fizzled into the disappointment of you know I can't rely on the accuracy of my GIS. Where I see that the most exciting and where I, I get excited about bringing this out to market uh, currently with, with our customers is is that remote worker assist component. So how do I get that junior novice worker out in the field, uh, you know, confident, keep him safe so that he's not doing, you know, incorrect things in the field without having to have four or five uh, workers dispatched to do a single job. So being able to provide that, what am I seeing in the field, sharing that view to people in the back office or in another remote location and, and helping that guy out in the field or girl out in the field. I think that also kind of excites me the most too because Dylan, we've talked about this, the, the aging workforce and the retiring workforce and how do you bring in the younger generation and pass on that experiential data that lives in the heads of these retiring, um, of, the, of those who are retiring. These technologies allow you to send a less knowledgeable worker out into the field, but they still have access to that information because they can communicate back Absolutely. with centralized command. So it plays this very large role or has the opportunity to play this very large role in worker training and employee mm -hmm. training and engaging a younger generation and kind of alleviating some of those big challenges that I think we see on, on our side um, coming into the industry, which is, I don't know that much about it. I'm trying to learn on the job. And I'm kind of concerned that I don't have the, this extensive knowledge of what's been going on for the past 20, 30 years on the grid. Nobody wants to create the next big blackout uh, because I threw the wrong switch out there or be injured uh, on the job because I didn't have the experience or the support that I needed uh, the first time I tried something uh, in the field. And you know, and this is beyond just connecting people by phone or, or a, a Skype session uh, or FaceTime. This is enabling, sharing of views, uh, interacting through annotations and redlining capabilities to, to really help that worker out in the field. Aaron, have you seen any uh, any interesting VR, AR programs firsthand that gave you pause? So aside from the operational standpoint, D-Prime, we're, we're looking at how to use AR in the smart home. How can you augment your home to understand what appliances are using the most energy and how can you reduce your costs that way. Now that's a little bit farther out, but that is an interesting way, an interesting application of the technology as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm quite keen to see how we can blend uh, LiDAR technology in for vegetation management, asset inspection, and asset health uh, with this AR VR technology. I think that's going to be an, an interesting emerging technology to, to watch as well. And given what's going on with the grid and wildfires, huh. it's yeah. that would yeah. be very beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah. Let, let's keep everybody off the six o'clock news in a bad way. Yep. <laughs> Well, we're really excited to see how this technology looks going forward, and hopefully, it's going to become more ubiquitous as you talked as you talked about. I think with the technology going down in price, that's 
definitely something that we can look forward to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that collaboration between the, the utility community and the vendor community and, and how we, we bridge that gap. So how do we work collaboratively together to look at these practical use cases, get get the adoption and the, and the business benefits and returns happening? I think that will drive the, the adoption in the future and accelerate. Thank you very much for coming here today uh, and for attending ETS in general and talking about AR and VR. We all love to hear about it. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me, Dylan and Aaron. It was uh, it was a pleasure meeting both of you and, and participating in the conference. And Aaron, thanks for taking time out of your busy MC schedule to come uh, <laughs> talk ARVR with us. I'm always happy to talk about emerging technologies. So thank you, Dylan. Absolutely. And thank you to Clevis for sponsoring this episode. You can find our research and media, including that new paper, at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at zprime underscore research, at Aaron underscore Hardick, at dylockwood. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.